So earlier this week on Friday, Andy had messaged me and said there's a possibility he wasn't going to be here to be ready. And uh, it just happened to be at that moment he messaged me, I was working on a, a, a message for Ken. Uh, in years past, we were always handed this curriculum, and y'all have heard enough about it, but I've had the privilege over the past few years of teaching a group that's referred to as Mission Track. And we take the curriculum and put a missional focus on it. And then we'll go out and do a service project somewhere, either in the community or at the camp. Well, this year was the first year they ever had a different curriculum than everyone else. Now, you've heard all about the issues we had with a, I will just call it a blatant misinterpretation of scripture in the main camp curriculum. And to kind of let you guys in on some, I was on a meeting on a, on a conference call with the pastors that will be teaching for the week, and all of them just agreed that that was incorrect, and they're going to be teaching the scriptures correctly. So from that regard, praise the Lord that uh, there were men that saw the fallacy with what was being taught and are going to teach it correctly. But um, I was given a different curriculum, totally different. Uh, it was teaching uh, youth about missions. Um, and it, it's, you know, missions is an interesting thing. We don't see the word missions in Scripture. So we can't just go and say, we find it right here, this is what it is. But it's kind of like the Trinity. We don't see the word in Scripture, but it's there. So missions, there will be some argument about missions, and, and some of you probably will disagree with, with my assessment of missions because I like to break it up in missions and service. Both vitally important, but hopefully I can convey today as to why I would do that, why I would want to break them up between missions and service. Um, the mission that God has called us to in serving the body. Uh, but so I was, I was working on that. That uh, the, the, the teaching they had, I disagreed with it, it, a little bit in that they, they, they sent a PowerPoint with it, with these cool graphics. Um, it was most of their, their, their uh, research came from Lifeway. So they had cool graphics using centripetal and centripetal, centripetal and centrifugal. Being the Old Testament, everything was drawn in. No one was being sent. But I disagree with that because Jonah was sent to where? Nineveh. So, you know, at some level, okay, I disagree with what they're... Okay, I kind of agree here. So I just kind of went and kind of wrote my own. Uh, I, I found a couple of resources I read and some books that I read. And really, my view of missions has been shaped from my own experiences. Uh, several years ago, we would always do what we call mission trips. Call them service trips now. We go to Guatemala. We go uh, within the states. We've gone to South Dakota. We've done local things. But um, I, I began rethinking, and we did a training called "Helping Without Hurting." And Americans, we're really good at we can do everything, and we can do it faster and better than everyone else. We go and build these houses. Now, when I first time I went, it would take all day to build this little house. Four foot concrete wall. Four by four frame, metal. That's all it is. A door and window. But we're Americans. We're good. We bought cordless tools, drills, saws. We had it down to where we could put up a house in about an hour. Now, they did all the, the, the brickwork for us. This was just putting up the, the tent. And working with youth, we could do this in an hour. We're really good. But it was set in this training. And um, it's helping without hurting. And they talked about how 
you go somewhere, we as Americans think that we've got it all figured out. When they have a way of doing things. And culturally, we separate ourselves by coming down and saying, this is how you do it. So if I begin to rethink all of what we were doing. And, and really, if we were being missional, would we want to get done as fast as possible? Or would we want to spend more time with the families we were working with? So I kind of developed my own in, in reading and listening to some different uh, uh, some different pastors. Um, Heart Cry Missionary Association, uh, Paul Washer is president of that. He is a uh, he's a bit over the top of missions, but I completely get where he's coming from. Um, I've met uh, some missionaries that truly are living out missions, what we're called to do. So I kind of developed that over just some years on my own. But, um, so as I approach this, it's like, okay, how do I teach these youth? And really, how do we look at missions? And where do we even begin? So that's the question is like, where do we begin with missions? Especially when we can't find it in Scripture laid out. You know, it's always nice when we see things in Scripture that tells exactly what to do. Then we get to topics like this. I think we can all agree that missions are biblical. But if I were to ask you what missions are, I would probably get 20 different definitions. Uh, the most prominent one is going to be to tell people about Jesus. Yes. It's no less than that. But it's so much more. It can't be any less than the gospel. But there's more. So we're going to kind of explore that this morning. But when we talk about missions, where do we begin? And uh, John Piper probably has the best explanation of why, uh, most the simplest explanation, explanation as to why we do missions. And he says, missions exist because worship does not. Now, kind of follow that train of thought a little bit. That he says that worship does not exist. If we think about, we go in Genesis, creation. Here's this God, this all-powerful God that speaks everything we see in the creation by the power of His voice. He creates everything, and it's good. He created us, created all that we know, and it was good. Three chapters in, what happens? We have the fall. This perfect relationship that man once lived is that he's now been separated from this perfect God. Because God is perfect, He is just, He is holy. Sin will not be in His presence. So now there's been a separation. And now, from that point forward, all of humanity has been imputed with a sinful nature that separates us from our Creator. And with that comes this propensity for us to worship everything except the Creator that deserves worship. I read an article yesterday. It was about some, it was really about some odd um, cases over, over uh, in the past that they go back and research how the detectives figured out this crime. And it was, it was a murder case and it was, they only found one body part. But anyway, they figured out who did this. And the men that they caught that had done this crime, as they were being arrested, were praying to an alligator guy. We do, if you think about it, we have a propensity to worship everything. We'll worship anything but God. It, it, it's just, it's this nature that we have. 
that we've had since the fall. But God knew this before He created anything. He knew this would happen. There's nothing new to Him. And He set a plan in place for reconciliation to Himself that would that would bring glory to Him. And He begins revealing that in Genesis 3. At the same time that the curse is falling, God reveals His plan. He begins to give us a little hint. Genesis 3.15 I will put enmity between you and the woman. Talking about Satan and the woman. And between, the, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise or crush, depending on what translation you read, your head, and you shall bruise his head. So God puts his redemptive plan in motion. So the seed of Eve will crush Satan. Will crush him. And a path of reconciliation for us, for true worshipers, has begun. Now through the study of scripture, we know that God is immutable. He never changes. His redemptive plan has always been the same. It is never deviated. There's no reason to deviate. If he is all-knowing, if he's known everything that's going to happen and has happened and will happen, whatever, he's never learned anything. Have you ever thought about that? If he's all-knowing, he never actually had to learn anything. So if he's never learned it, there was no reason for his plan to change. It was perfect. And the Old Testament, God is revealing himself to a people. He's revealing who we are. If you want to know what the law is, the law is a mirror that reveals who we truly are apart from him. And revealing his plan of redemption through a people who will worship him one day. Psalm 46 kind of gives you some insight to God's plan. The end of Psalm 46, verse 10, it says, I will be exalted on the earth. God says, I will be exalted on the earth. As God reveals himself and the thread of redemption runs through the entire Old Testament, it's all the way through. If you studied it and you begin to see, the more you study, the more God will open your eyes to that redemptive, redemptive thread that has gone through the Old Testament. All the prophecies and promises of the Old Testament come to fruition when we get to the New Testament. In the New Testament, we have the fulfillment of God's promises, His redemptive plan. And praise be to God for us, instead of looking forward as the Old Testament had to do, we get to look back to promises fulfilled in Christ. The victory is complete, but not yet finished. It's completed, it's done, it's won, but there's still time on the clock. When I was in high school and, uh, playing JV football, we were terrible, horrible. We were playing a game, it was cold, it was raining, we were getting beat 42 to nothing at halftime. The rest comes to the, our coaches and be like, I just want to call it. No, we're not going to quit. It was over. We were not winning this game. It's kind of where we are in this time in history. Saved is defeated. There's just still time on the clock. Uh, so we see here that missions, why we have missions is because the fall, because man has fallen. We have sinned. And if you want to look forward to what the culmination, what is going for, what is the purpose behind missions? Where are we going? Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 and 10. This will let us see where everything is headed. Starting verse 9, it says, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, 
from every tribe and people and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. What a glorious picture, right? All the work that is done for missions. Everything that we do, this is where it culminates. Right here. Everyone from all tribes, languages, and people standing before the throne and praising Him. When we look at missions, I mean, honestly, God Himself is the main character. He engaged, He's the initiator. We talk about missions, we send people, right? Sin. He sent His Son to proclaim the gospel. And He participates in the grand design of this redeeming the greatest tragedy in history the fall of man from relationship with God. And He made a way for us to be reconciled back into Himself, into a relationship with Him. He has done this. So God sent His Son to reveal to us that hope of redemption. And that we can be reconciled to Him through faith and belief in Jesus. And a faith that He provides. Now Jesus directly validates God's plan and His purpose. In John 17, verse 3, where Jesus says, And this is eternal life, that they know You. The one true God and the one You have sent, Jesus Christ. What is the plan of redemption? That we know Him. That we truly know Him. So God lays out this amazing plan for His people to know Him. Everything is in place and under His sovereign control. And what will happen, He has already ordained. Here's a mind-blowing part for me. Is that God has commanded that we, His people, take part in this great plan He's laid forward. If anyone can fail at something, it is me. But he has called each and every one of us to take part in this. As he always does, choosing the foolish thing to show his glory. He chooses us to be part of his redemptive plan. So if you are in Christ, you are called to play a part in this plan. We are all called, we are in Christ, to play a part. So this brings up the question. Alright, if we've been called to this, what do we do? What is it we are called to do? Now, I just said that tell people about Jesus, yes, but it's more. So how do we know it? In the New Testament, Jesus gives us five commissioning statements that can guide us in how we are to be obedient to what he has commanded us to do in missions. And bringing about the scene we've read about in Revelation 7. Now, I've got a book that I picked up. It's called When Everything is Missions. It's about Danny Spiller and Matthew Ellison. And they have a chapter on what is missions. And it's these five commissioning statements I, I take from them. So it, it's, it's definitely something I didn't come up with. There's nothing new, so I trust resources. But they, they study the scriptures and they come up with these five, these, these five statements that Christ made all after the resurrection. But in guiding the disciples, they, and we can offer this, we can build a model for missions. And it's five M's. It's the model for missions, the magnitude of missions, the methodology of missions, the message of missions, and the means by which we may be used in missions. 
So, this is, these are the five statements that Jesus makes. So the model, so the model we get from missions comes from John 20, verse 22. Jesus said to them, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. So just as the Father sent Jesus to preach the good news, we follow that same model. We are sent. We as a church are being sent to take the good news, the gospel, following the model that Christ demonstrated. As we study the book of Acts, the apostles first start where? Right where they were. Peter and John preaching in Jerusalem where they were. And if we continue reading on the book in the book of Acts, the gospel was taken all over from Jerusalem to Rome and even beyond. Just in the in the time period of Acts. They didn't have technology. How'd they travel? By ship and by foot. But they took the gospel. So this is the model that we need to follow. We are sent. It starts right here. It starts within our own walls, our own homes, and our own communities. This is where mission starts. And the model that we can follow from Scripture is that we are to, you know, we're being sent to go. Now the magnitude, the magnitude of missions. Mark chapter 16, verse 15. Yeah, I'm going to be all over the place. So if you want to jot down these, you're going to go back and read. I, I suggest that. But we're going to be all over the place. So Mark chapter 16, verse 15. And he said to them, Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. So the magnitude is globally. It's everywhere. All of creation is where we're to go. This message will be preached to all creation, and we must understand this will be the case. Because if we properly read Revelation 7, that's exactly what it says. There's going to be people from everywhere, every language, every tribe, every nation that will be there. So we are to take this message and go to every corner of the earth. Now the methodology. This, Matthew 28, the Great Commission, verses 18 and 20. So the method we can follow in, in, in working in missions. This is the method. And this is one that's been the sticking point. When I, this is where I get uh, why i just telling people about Jesus. Yes. But it's more. It comes from this. So Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So the method is clear. It is more than just passing out tracts. Passing out tracts is good, but it's not the full picture we get of missions. It is not less. It is so much more. Just think about it. Where are disciples made? In the church. Are disciples made just by telling people about Jesus? No. Not. When we study Acts, we study the book of Acts, look at Paul's ministries. He preached and he taught. He preached and he taught. He preached and he taught. And he stayed. And he stayed. And he raised up leaders to take over the church. 
then if we read the epistles, what does he do? He checks up on them. He's checking up on them. He has developed a close relationship that is required of discipleship. And he stays. This isn't just that we're going to pop in for two weeks, we're going to tell you about Jesus and leave. If we look at the model that we read in Scripture, staying. And any mission that does not do this, that is not about this, does not fall under the authority of the local church. All of this happens in the local church. If it doesn't fall under that authority, then it's dangerous. Uh, one thing that I uh, I was listening to, Vody Baca, he, uh, if, if y'all know who he is, he left the United States to go be a president of a seminary in Zambia. And as he was leaving, he, he met with a group that was going to be his sending sending organization. He was filled with questions. And someone asked him, uh, aren't there plenty of missionaries? There was a lot of questions. But at one point, he talked about what he what he had seen in Zambia. He said that it was scary. There were so many young, zealous Christians wanting to serve in the mission field that had gone over or working in orphanages in different places that were not attending church. They weren't sent by a church. They were sent by a mission organization. And when they hit the ground, they were not plugged into a local church. They did not fall under the authority of a local church. And he said, for him, that is scary. And I would agree. We should always be subject to a local church. Wherever we are, wherever we go, we need to be plugged into a local church. So missions, when we, when we read about this, we must be part of a local church. And the mission is about teaching and training others. All that Jesus commanded. That little phrase in there where Jesus says, All that I have commanded you, do we teach them? That is where missions get so much more than just telling people about Jesus. Anything short of this is not the method that Jesus described. We're just dropping tracks around. That's not the complete method. Not that it's bad. Just so much more. So the message, what are we to preach? What is this message that is to be proclaimed? Luke 24, verses 44 through 49. Then he said to them, These are my words that I have spoken to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, Thus it is written, that the Christ should suffer on the third day, and on the third day raised from the dead, and that repentance for forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. So the message here is clear. Jesus Christ is the gospel that must be preached. Jesus Christ must be preached. As you read these words of Jesus, you can begin to see why Matthew 28 is so vital. How can you connect Jesus to the law of Moses? How do you connect Jesus to the prophets? How do you connect Jesus to the Psalms? But you have to study. It takes time. Uh, but one of the, the things that were in the, the curriculum that I was given to teach at camp was that what is it, something that would hinder you from going on missions? 
well, I'm not spiritually mature enough. And they, they, they say, well, don't let that, that'll always be an issue. I say, if you can't have the ability to where you were to go and tell someone, just Jesus in your heart, and they say, what does that mean? If you can't explain what that were to mean, maybe you're not spiritually mature enough to be going out and witnessing people. Can you handle a conversation with a Mormon, with a Jehovah's Witness? I tell you what, majority of Mormons know the scriptures better than most of us. And they will back you in a corner real quick. So being spiritually mature, it is vital. Now, do you need to be spiritually mature to go serve? No, we're all calling that. But when we talk about missions, you need to be spiritually mature. So the message is clear. We are to preach this message. And you better have a solid grasp on what it is that Jesus has done. As Paul said, I preach Christ in Him crucified. That's it. But it was Paul. He was a Pharisee, right? He knew the Old Testament Scriptures backwards and forwards. He lived in them. But also, do we think Paul, conversion, goes out to the mission field, right? How many years it was between the time Paul's conversion and he was sent with Barnabas? 13, 14 years. He spent 13, 14 years serving in a local church and learning before being sent. If you're going to be sent around the world, then there is some training that needs to be done. The gospel has always been the same. It has never changed. There is this, this nonsense of that we've always had half a gospel is a lie. By the way, that is very common if you're not really paying attention to what's been going on in, in circles today. They're claiming that uh, because we didn't have critical race theory or social justice that we've been preaching a half gospel for 2,000 years. It's a lie. It is a lie. Christ has done this. He has done all the work. We are called to repent and believe. That's what we are called to do. You know, one of the biggest complaints that I read about uh, with, with a, or what, one of my biggest complaints with gospel presentations is this lack of repentance. I don't know if y'all have noticed this, that there seems to be a lack of repentance. We don't want to preach repentance. But the scriptures say it over and over. Repent. Repent. Old Testament. Jeremiah, repent. No. Jonah, sorry. Jeremiah. I always get Jonah in the But you already know I can't read. Uh, Jonah, repent. Christ, repent. John Baptist, repent. Paul, repent. But a lot of present day gospel presentations, there's no repentance. I don't get it. Are we afraid that people might reject us? I don't understand. But that's the message we're to preach. Repentance. Repentance. And if we read it in that passage, Christ gives us a little insight to the means by which we can be used to accomplish this. So the means, Acts 1, verse 8. It says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. So just as Jesus opened up the minds of the disciples 
it is the power of God through the Holy Spirit that we can be used successfully in God's mission. This should bring comfort to us to know that mission is, missions are not dependent upon us. Uh, the means by which all this we accomplish will come from God. It, it's interesting. I went to a missions conference a few years ago at a uh, Calvinist conference, as it was called by many, which most people claim that Calvinists do not believe in missions. Some of the best sermons and teaching I heard came from that conference. In that we aren't dependent upon ourselves to draw people to Christ. It is Christ that draws them. We just preach what the Word says and God is the one that saves. We, it's not dependent upon what we do to attract people. I was like, pretty comforting. The, the, the means by which all this will be accomplished is provided by God. We just be faithful to His Word. Just be faithful to His Word. There's a, there's a sermon that I listen to at least once a year. It's by an old preacher by the name of Parrish Greenhead. If you have sermon audio, you can find it. It's called Ten Shekels and a Shirt. Audio is terrible. It was recorded back in the 50s. So it's actually kind of cool, but the audio is bad. Parrish Greenhead. Ten shekels and a shirt. He, he's telling about the time he went to Africa on missions. He has people look up and respect him, but his whole goal is he wants to step away. His desire is to glorify Christ and that he's going to come to take his place. So the church in Zambia is healthy. They've got a long way to go, but they are growing. They are training pastors. So if that is the if that is what missions truly are, what do we do? What do we here at Oak Shade do? How do we be missional? Well, first and foremost, we can pray for missionaries around the world. Prayer is the most essential and continual rendering that we can do to missionaries. If you talk to any of them, the first thing they're going to ask for is for your prayer. They're not going to ask for money. First thing they're going to ask for is three prayers. <clears throat> and I would challenge you to become prayer warriors for Christ missionaries who are out proclaiming the gospel around the world. And if you need help finding missionaries to specifically pray for, um, Voice of Martyrs is a great place. But we are affiliated with several missionaries right here from our own congregation. Greg Gordon, and I can't remember the pastor's name of the other church, just uh, not too far from where Greg was located. We've had missionaries visit from Japan. We've supported them on occasion. Wes and Lord Wilcox, we've, we've had Wes here. We have those connections. I, uh, I personally know uh, a, a wonderful family, the, the Oaks family. Um, can't remember his first name because he's retired army, so it is known by his last name, Oaks. He was a Apache pilot, retired from the army, and volunteered to be a missionary with Wycliffe Bible Institute. What he does, he took him and his five kids to Cameroon. He flies helicopters to deliver Bibles to pastors throughout the country of Cameroon. He had to spend nine months in immersion French to learn French. Him and his wife needed to learn French. 
he had to accomplish certain biblical training tasks. You had to be, you know, you, you had to be uh, well versed in the scriptures. You had to be trained. He had to learn to fly like they do. Forget how the army flies. You had to learn to work on the helicopters. Then you had to take cultural training because you and your family are about to be dropped into a third world country. And oh yeah, by the way, here's the church you're going to go to. He plucked up him and his family after 24 years of 25 or 25 years of serving his country. Now he's serving his Lord in Cameroon. Which they are there right now. Uh, a friend of mine, Alan Maluma, a family I met a few years ago, actually saved their house when we were in uh, Zambia. He, uh, him and his wife, interesting story. He's originally from the Congo. He, uh, a missionary came and visited his village when he was a young boy. And it, the nation of uh, the Congo, the Democratic Republic of Congo, was in civil war. And he was a refugee in the United States. Went to seminary, became a pastor. Joined the Navy, was a chaplain in the Navy, met his wife, Delphine, who was also from the Congo. They got married, and the first thing they did when he got out of the Navy, he went back. And now he, they live in Zambia because it's safe, right on the border with the Congo. He teaches at the, at the university that I was able to attend. He does pastor training classes. He speaks five languages. He trains pastors in the region so that they can better minister to their church. Um, I have two friends down in Guatemala that do the same. Daniel Vietoro uh, and Boris and Keller. Boris is an interesting man. I can't really talk to him because he doesn't speak good English. I don't speak Spanish. So it's interesting. But uh, he got very excited when I could find him reformed books in Spanish because they can't get them. But I list all these to say we don't need to look beyond the relationships we've already developed. We've got missionaries right here that we can pray for. And we can reach out to and develop an even better relationship. We, we can reach out and say, how can we assist you? There are ways that we can be part of this mission that God has called us to be. Maybe someone from here one day is going to be called. God is going to call you to go. But we can do like Paul. Just continue serving and seeking ways that we can glorify Him. Until that day comes. But as a church, we can do this. We can be involved. We can be part of the mission. God's mission around the world. You know, one of the biggest hesitations um, I've read recently about people leaving the Southern Baptist Convention. The biggest hesitation is, well, look at all the work that the SBC does globally for missions. Churches give to them, they distribute the funds. And they have. They've done a lot of work globally. But, as you know, I was formally introduced on a personal level to this whole CRT, social justice stuff with the camp curriculum this year. First time I've ever, I've read about it, heard about it, but this is the first time it's ever been dropped in front of my face. It was eye-opening. This was written by a member of the Southern Baptist North American Mission Board. And if this is the gospel that the SBC is perpetuating, it's not the gospel that we read about in Scripture. And it's dangerous. And I would ask for all of you in prayer for our convention. 
and what the future holds. Because this is a dangerous thing that we are being taught. And I pray that each one of us will take some time and pray for those around the world that are serving the Lord, that are that are living in blood, sweat, and tears overseas. That are persecuted for Christ. We can pray for them. But we always need to remember the mission start with each and every one of us. We need the gospel every single day. We need it. We need it. To remember that there is this, this, this magnificent, holy God that spoke everything into existence. And we have sinned against Him. That is what we've sinned against. And this perfect, holy, and righteous God who's also just, there's a punishment that is deserved for sin against Him. And apart from Christ, we will pay that punishment. But He has sent His Son to be that payment of sin, that propitiation, to pay for our sin. That we may stand righteous in front of our Father. That is the gospel. That we repent of our sins and we turn to Him. There's nothing that we can do on our own to be righteous in front of God. It is by Him and Him alone. That is the gospel. I don't care what language you speak, what color you are. It doesn't matter. Everyone in this world is apart from Christ, is in the same condition. We will stand before a holy and righteous God and face His judgment. That is the gospel that must be proclaimed. That is what must be taught. And it all starts with all of us. Do you believe it? Have you repented and put your faith and trust in Christ? That's the first step of being a missionary. You have to believe. You have to believe. This morning, it is our second Sunday. In a few minutes, we'll, we will partake in communion. Um, we are told to partake in communion in a worthy manner. So, if you are not a believer, please do not partake of this. If you're a believer and, you know, maybe there's a sin that's just, that you've been dealing with, it's okay to pass this plate in your heart. It is okay. Because he calls us and he commands us to partake in the word of the man. So this is one of the ordinances. This baptism. It's partaking of the Lord's Supper. And as we do that today, may we do that in a word of man. So I'm going to close us in a word of prayer. And I'm going to ask our, our deacons to come forward. And uh, we will enter this time of communion with the Lord. So let's pray. Father, Lord, we, uh, it's hard for me to even begin to fathom that you would allow us to partake in the great mission of preaching your gospel around the world. Father, I I feel that we are are so undeserving of such a calling, but the Lord is something you've called us to. Lord, may we walk in obedience to you and be faithful servants to you. And Lord, if there is anyone here that does not know you, Lord, I pray that you would begin that you would begin a work on them. 
that you would begin changing that heart of stone and bringing a new, changing and transforming. Father, Lord, as we come before you this morning to partake of your time, Lord, I pray that we would all live in a worthy manner in a way that is honoring and glorifying of the price that was paid for the sins that we have paid. Father, Lord, it is to your honor and glory that I pray.